Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get even softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus 15% off your first order with code Odyssey. So head to b o l l and branch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And welcome in. Leg Kick is live. It is Sunday night, September 5th, the year of our Lord, 2021. A jam-packed show to end all jam-packed shows. Just got back from Charlotte, North Carolina a couple of hours ago. So did a lot of work in the air, did a lot of work on the ground, met a lot of you at both airports as well as in Charlotte this weekend. Actually met one of our listeners slash viewers who hails from the small but not insignificant town of Tai Tai, Georgia. Why is Tai Tai important? Well, it's important because of the people who live there. But secondly, you know, sometimes I choose just random towns to mention in the show. And disproportionately, I have mentioned Tai Tai, Georgia. So the guy walks up to me at the airport and says, Josh, hey, I'm from Tai Tai. And it meant something to both of us right there in the security line. It meant something. Georgia stuffed Clemson Saturday night, last night, 24 hours ago. We are going to discuss in great detail LSU. Do you want to say they laid an egg on the West Coast? Do you want to say UCLA arrived on the West Coast? Well, whatever you think happened, I'm going to tell you what I think happened in that one. Alabama rolled Miami in a way that is all too familiar for Alabama. Penn State found a way against Wisconsin, despite what the box score may tell you. Penn State found a way. We have got Ramen Noodle Express tonight. We have got a Renaissance Tour announcement for this week that is probably as talked about as any stop that we're going to make all season. We have got critical decisions you and I to make. We got Texas, Arkansas coming up Saturday. We could go to Fayetteville. It would be my first game ever in Fayetteville. We could, of course, go to Oregon at Ohio State. We've got Iowa undefeated at Iowa State undefeated. I'm going to let you know before the end of this very broadcast where we will be headed Saturday. We got to talk about Texas. Iowa and Iowa State both won yesterday in uh, differing fashions. Florida, the quarterback situation there playing out exactly according to the script that we have laid out on this program. We got to talk about Oklahoma barely surviving, Oregon barely surviving, Washington not surviving, and we're going to do this all before Notre Dame and Florida State kick off at about uh, 7.30 on the East Coast, 6.30 Central, so about 58 minutes from now. And with that in mind, we have no time to waste. Make sure you are following on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. I do want to tell you, I didn't announce it on purpose because I wanted it to feel kind of informal. But Friday night, about uh, 11.30 Eastern time, I was in the Eastern time zone, so it was 11.30 Eastern time, we did a little impromptu betting, gambling sort of chat on Instagram Live. Those games went 7-2. and two. That's all I'm going to tell you. Be heads up on Friday nights. It pays to be following on platforms other than just YouTube. But subscribe if you are here. Okay, let's dive in. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina last night on the field for this one. Georgia 10, Clemson 3. I wish you guys could have been there. A lot of you were uh, obvious from watching on TV or being there in person. Packed house, sold out over 74,000 there. And it was the first college football atmosphere in whole that a lot of us have experienced in well over two years. Defense was back and crowds were back. We talked about this all summer, not to be confused with offseason, all summer long. We talked about it and both the factors that we thought would go into making a renaissance season for college football were present last night. Deafening on the field and insane levels of defense being played on the field. I tweeted this last night during the game, and it didn't change after I tweeted it. This was one of the most glaring physical mismatches on the line of scrimmage I've ever watched from field level. And I've seen a lot of games down there, and I've seen a lot of blowout games. This wasn't a blowout game because neither offense could pull away. The level of domination Georgia had on the line of scrimmage was something we expected. It's the reason I picked Georgia to win the game, not to this level. I don't think Kirby expected it to that level. I certainly don't think Clemson staff expected it to that degree. Now, I can tell you, if you heard me throughout the week last week, even after picking Clemson to win it all, I ended up, as the week progressed, feeling more and more like Georgia was going to take that game because I can tell you that They were very confident. Georgia was extremely confident. They were just going to dominate the line of scrimmage. Now, what they were worried about was, 
well, will you have some pop plays? You know, will you have some receivers get over the top? Will you have DJ Uyangalale bail them out? Will it look like a stat line where he puts up 380 or 400 yards passing and they run it for 90 yards? Well, no, it wasn't that at all. Georgia was supremely confident and they had a reason to be. 23 carries for two yards. That was the Clemson rushing total. If you want to run the numbers, go for it. If you don't, I had stats and info do it in-house here. That is 0.1 yards per carry. That's worse than Bama treated Leonard Fournette. That's worse than some of the most dominant run defense performances you will ever see. Oh, and by the way, they added in, did the Georgia Bulldog defense, seven sacks by eight different guys. Again, standing on the field, I know what it looked like at home. I've watched the replay. Standing on the field, you can't imagine. You go to the end zone. I went to the end zone in the latter portion of the third quarter to watch some of Georgia's interior guys working to have that different vantage point as opposed to just standing on the sideline. There were times, I'm not talking about stunts or twists or some exotic zone blitzes. There were straight up one-on-one situations uh, that became so dominant on the side of Georgia that there were Clemson offensive linemen not, or barely, I'm not going to say not touching anyone, barely getting a hand on a defender. And uh, so I don't know what you expected from DJ Uyangale. I mean, the guy did not play well last night. I don't know how he could have played well, is my point. So... That's what we all watched. Now, how did you interpret it? Because a lot of people have interpreted this game a lot of different ways. I'll give you my take here. I really think Georgia fans need to be happy with the win. This is a huge win. It's a statement win. You can be happy and still have some concern, but I've looked across the landscape, whether it be my own personal phone interacting with some of you guys. I, Jake Rowe pulls right up to me on the street in downtown Charlotte last night says, hey, man, and we sat there in traffic, me on the sidewalk like a hobo and Jake in a vehicle like a normal human being. And I said, how does the board over there at Dogs 24-7 feel? And he said, well, they like the defense, but mm, offense, big concern. Yeah, I get that. Okay, I understand. If you're listening on the podcast, you don't even know what those sounds were. I get all that. What I really wish more fans knew how to do is they knew how to set their own context and not allow what I call college football tourists, whether they be outside fans or media, to define your expectation and to define how your mood should be. You got some folks that will drive by right now and they'll look over there at Georgia football and they'll say, oh, y'all ain't going to be able to score enough to beat Bama. And then they'll just drive away. Those aren't Georgia. Those aren't Georgia people. They're not, they're not one of you. How about this? How about you stop letting outsiders set the narrative for you? Ooh, dirty word. We don't like narrative. Just stop letting other people tell you how you should feel. You can be very happy because college football is about moments. Georgia fans should be extremely happy. Not satisfied, but happy. College football, more so than any other American sport, it's about the big moments. A lot of those, a vast majority of those, happen in the regular season. No one talks about the Saints-Dolphins game from 1997 in Week 9. They just don't matter. But in college football, regular season games matter. Georgia hasn't won enough of these. They won one last night. You want some perspective? Imagine how you would have felt on Friday if I told you, hey, good morning. I shook the Magic 8 ball. I have seen into the future. You guys are going to score three offensive points Saturday night, 10 points total. You're going to put up 256 yards total offense. You are going to lose the turnover battle. How do you feel? Well, you wouldn't have even bothered to turn on the game. That's how sure you would have been that 10 total points, 256 total offense, and losing the turnover battle was going to not only lead to you losing to Clemson, it was probably going to lead to a humiliating loss again on the national stage. And instead, you know what you did? You won. You beat Clemson. One of the most dominating defensive performances in several years, really, when you think about it. And so that's something to be celebrated. Here's how you should look at it if you're a Georgia fan. Remember how the 2019 season ended? Where the 2019 season ended is where the 2021 season is beginning. You remember the realization, hard one, that you came to against LSU. You said, man, we played pretty well defensively here, but eventually the dam broke because we could not trade points. When we go up against an elite offense, we can't trade points. Well, right here in this very moment, maybe that is Georgia football, but it's not over in 2021. It's just beginning. And you got better weapons probably on this roster than you did in 2019, You probably got a better quarterback at his top end than you did in 2019. So what are you going to do? That's the question. You still got a long way to go. But it's not the end. It's only the beginning. That's how you should look at it. Clemson, however, 
may have some permanent flaws on this team. And it doesn't really thrill me to say that because I'm the one that picked them to win the national championship. I don't have fingernails. I got a really bad habit. Um, I don't I don't do many things, but one of the things I do that's a terrible habit is I bite my fingernails, have for a long time. And there are some struggles that those of us who bite our nails go through in life that a lot of you could never imagine. And one of them is opening the top on canned Coke products. Or Pepsi, if you want to sponsor the show, that's fine. It's hard. A lot of times we have to either ask someone to do it for us or we got to go find a credit card or something to slide in under the tab to pop it because we cannot get a grip on it. And if you've ever, with no fingernails, tried to open a pop top, you know exactly how it felt to be a Clemson fan watching their offense last night. What do you do? What do you call? If you don't have the speed at receiver, and they don't, to get over the top of a defense, and if you don't have an offensive line that can give your quarterback time even if you do have those elements, what do you call? You can't call anything. So it was just basically let's wait for the clock to run out last night or hope that George is stupid enough to put the ball in the air where we can force a turnover and get back into it. Well, that wasn't happening. And because of that, they lost the game last night. Now, I heard on a lot of the post-game coverage the automatic assumption that Clemson will win the rest of their games, of course, like it's their birthright, and then they'll go on to the ACC title game. They'll be back in the playoff. Um, Then what are they going to do? It's not assumed, in my mind, that Clemson just wins the rest of their games. There are elements that these teams normally possess, the great teams, that give them pull-away capability in any week, that give them bailout capability, even if they're playing subpar in any week. It's just that electric, explosive, normally several versions of it at wide receiver, quarterback, offensive line. There are enough of those elements to where they'll just outrun you. I mean, they'll run past you. They're racehorses. That's not Clemson right now. I stood right there about 10 feet from their wide receiver core and watched them warm up last night. They're all the same. They're all the same person. Now, that's good if you're looking for big physical receivers. There's not a single Arian Smith on their roster. There's not a single Jalen Waddle on their roster. They don't have the speed element out there that those other elite programs do. The LSU 2019 team had that. They still got it now with Keishon Boutte. They might have a bunch of other pieces that they can depend on there right now, but they got that. Clemson doesn't have that. So if you don't have an offensive line that's consistent enough and you don't have the elements out wide that can break games open, you're going to probably run up on a couple of more teams this year that you're favored by over three touchdowns against that on a random Saturday are going to give you fits. I mean, that random game, back-to-back road games, uh, October 23rd at Pitt, you have no idea how that could turn out because you don't have enough elements on this team right now that you're confident enough in to where you can sleepwalk your way to a win. You can't do that. So I know there are a lot of assumptions out there about Clemson. I'm not making that assumption. Uh, This is certainly, certainly not any foregone conclusion in my mind. Another interesting observation I made last night, this may mean something to you, it may mean nothing to you. I, before the game, was standing right outside the locker rooms. And I say it plural because it was a really weird setup last night. I don't think they showed you this on TV. This was not a normal um, stadium setup. In these NFL stadiums, a lot of times you're not using the NFL team's locker room. You're using kind of a satellite locker room. And I'm not totally sure what the setup was last night. All I'm telling you is both teams' locker rooms were next to each other. They shared the same tunnel. They walked down the same corridor, and they walked right next to each other. I watched it happen. Georgia comes out of their locker room sounding exactly how you would think a major college football program is going to sound when they're about to play a major game. I filmed it. I can't show it to you for obvious reasons uh, because we would have to edit a lot of it out. Clemson walks out of their locker room like they've just been to a funeral visitation. Now, I've been around Clemson before. It's a lot more methodical type of program. Uh, When they played LSU a couple of years ago, it was like this. Well, the result was kind of the same. Higher scoring, but kind of the same. What I'm saying is People hollering and yelling, that's not the end-all, be-all. That doesn't win you a football game. But the collective mentality of a team very much does matter. And there wasn't a lot of juice with Clemson last night. I'm not talking about after the game, guys. I'm talking about before the game. I stood out there again at the half. Clemson's coaches were more fired up than those players were coming out of the locker room. Georgia, you didn't have to worry about that. If anything, you had to worry about pulling the reins back on some of those guys a little bit. Just an interesting observation. I'm not telling you it was quantifiable at all. I'm not telling you it made a dime's worth of difference in the game. Just something interesting I saw. But I'll tell you, it's going to be fun now to watch Georgia Saturday. They got UAB coming into town. No one's going to pay attention to it. It's going to be one of the most well-coached teams they play all year. 
Uh, Bill Clark's got a good team at UAB. Georgia is favored by 27 and a half, or at least that's where it opened. So I'll be interested because, you, I mean, you look at the schedule now, and there's going to be the same assumption for Georgia. They're not going to lose another game. Maybe Florida could push them. But look, just because you won a game last night doesn't mean you may not have some of the same problems Clemson has, to be honest with you. Uh, the difference is, I think Georgia, there's a lot of confidence that they're going to get some pieces back. Kyrus Jackson's not nearly 100%. Jermaine Burton was barely involved last night. Uh, Darnell Washington, not playing. Eric Gilbert, who knows what happens to him down the road. So there are reasons for confidence that Georgia was a shell now of what they eventually will be. But let's just see, because week over week, incremental improvement. That's what you're looking for. That's development. That's coaching. When you get the talent on campus, that's what you're supposed to do with it. But Georgia wins 10-3. to Phenomenal atmosphere. Loved Charlotte. Uh, they gave away, for the media gift, I kid you not, complimentary jars of mayonnaise. We move on. That is not available, by the way, at Academy Sports and Outdoors. But pretty much everything else you could need in your life, in your college football experience, is available. Colin, I don't know. Check the website, academy.com. See if they sell mayonnaise. I do know that, as you can tell, college football season is here, and Academy Sports and Outdoors is a brand new partner of ours, and we're happy to have them on board. Here's what I'm happy to do. I was in Charlotte, like I said yesterday. I find myself needing some critical items at the last minute. Well, I know where to go. Hopefully, you know where to go. I don't, now, I didn't need a grill. I didn't need the canopy. I didn't need the typical tailgating equipment. But you probably are going to find yourself in need of that. we got a lot of big campus games coming up this week. You know, Oregon goes to Ohio State. Iowa goes to Iowa State. It's going to be a tailgate madhouse. Just make sure you run by Academy Sports and Outdoors to pick up all the criticals before that. And if you don't have one nearby, academy.com. It's the official outdoor sporting goods retailer of the Big 12, of the SEC, but most importantly, of Late Kick. Let our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors hook you up. (sighs) This is not going to be fun, but I'm going to do it uh, because it is our duty to do so. UCLA beat LSU yesterday pretty convincingly. The final score was 38-27. to This will not be a pleasant segment, but I'm going to say what a lot of Tiger fans once said. You cannot put up with this stuff two years in a row. Everyone's willing to excuse 2020 as long as 2021 provides them validation for their excuse-making in 2020. Well, 2021 is off to one of the worst starts imaginable, if you're an LSU Tiger fan right now. So I was kind of disgusted with the overall effort I saw from them yesterday. And to be perfectly clear, I don't have a purple and gold tattoo on my lower back. I just have high expectations for LSU football. So I was a little bit aggravated watching it yesterday because you hear good things. This is what we cautioned you about two weeks ago. You hear good things. But practice reports don't win games. Good-looking depth charts don't win games. Pieces of paper don't take the field. Players do. And players to varying degrees of preparedness do. And so you watch them yesterday. Which one looked more prepared? Which one looked better coached? I'm going to make that rhetorical. You can fill in the blanks however you want to. But I had a couple of folks come to me and they said, I know it looked bad, but Josh, what if we don't know the full story here? What if UCLA is secretly a really good team? What if they're the best team in the Pac-12 South? Okay, continue. And oh, that's it. That, that's my argument. Well, my counter to that is good for UCLA. What do they possess that four or five more teams on, U, on LSU schedule won't possess? How's that going to look against Alabama? How's that going to look? You know, I, like Arkansas can do that in any given week. Florida can do that any given week. Auburn can do that any given week. So what if? I'll answer your question. I'll even agree with you. Devil's advocate, what if they are the best team in the Pac-12 South? What you saw from LSU is not good enough. Regardless, congratulations to Chip Kelly. I'm going to talk about it in a second. I'm not overshadowing this. This was a huge win for them. But I think the outcome's more about LSU. And so let's just dive into this a little bit. The padlock stat here tells a story. And I think we had a pretty good grip on this thing, even though we picked the wrong outcome. The, the take, I mean, the angle that we took on the game is the way it played out just didn't play out at the angle we thought it would. We knew that there was going to be a lot of talk about quarterback in this game, and yet our feeling internally was this was not going to be a quarterback game. And sure enough, if I were to tell you Max Johnson's going to go uh, 26 for 46, 330 through the air, three touchdowns, one pick, that sounds good enough to win. Uh, Likewise, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, 9 of 16, he's not as much of a thrower, 260 yards through the air, three touchdowns, 
one pick. You can't tell who won this football game by those stat lines, but I'll tell you absolutely unequivocally what does make you confident who won this game. And that is seeing that UCLA ran the ball 48 times for 215 yards. That is 4.5 per pop. That would probably give you good indication of who took the game, but that ain't all. Then you go to LSU's stat line. The most critical factor of this entire offense since the end of last season has been the running game. They have harped on it and harped on it and harped on it. Ed Orgeron mentions it even without you asking about it. They had 25 carries for 48 yards yesterday. That is under two yards per carry. They don't have a shot to win. LSU cannot win. They cannot be a functional offense against UCLA, much less against some of the better teams in the SEC. But here's really the bigger indictment. Forget about all the stats for a second. Forget about the final score. If I just line these teams up, but I put generic uniforms on them, since you want to talk about SEC talent and speed and skill and all that, if I were to take away the branding and the logos and just showed you the game, which one looked like the SEC team? Which one looked better coached? Which one looked more sure of itself? Which one looked more fundamentally sound? Which one looked better prepared? I don't think it was the team in purple. I really don't. I think it was UCLA. So what does SEC mean? SEC is a sticker you put on your helmet. You got to define your own style of play. That sticker doesn't do anything for you. Just like that Pac-12 sticker didn't do anything to yank UCLA down yesterday. But the real question around LSU right now is why did that game stun so many people? I know what the point spread was. It wasn't nearly as fat as a lot of you indicated it should have been. But the real question here is, why did this UCLA-LSU outcome, 38-27, why did that stun so many people? And the answer is one of the most misunderstood things in all of college football, and it's talent. Because people get fooled by talent. Talent doesn't win football games any more than a car wins a race. But in some cases, it's our fault. You know, at 24-7 Sports, one of the best and worst tools we have is the team talent composite which is where you can pull up very conveniently how many star guys are on a team, how many fours and fives and what the rating was, and you think you have defined a team. Now, that's how, it's not how the tool is supposed to be used, but that's how a lot of people use it. And so you looked, and you saw all summer long this team in LSU with so much more talent than this team at UCLA was going to go across country, and it doesn't matter because it's week one. They'll be acclimated, and talent will just win out. no. Talent doesn't win football games anymore, like I said, than cars win races. How do you use the car? Who's in the car? Do you get every mile per hour possible out of that engine? Do you get every mile possible off of those tires? Do you get maximum fuel efficiency? None of that has to do with talent. It has to do with how effectively you utilize the skill. In that case, the machine. In this case, if you watched LSU's football players yesterday, did it look like, for the second year in a row now, they were being utilized to their maximum capability, to their maximum preparedness? And the answer is a clear no. And so then the follow-up question is a lot more murky, it's a lot more difficult, and I don't think it's time to answer that question. But that's the, that's the bigger issue here, and that's what you take away from it. The doubt I see around Max Johnson is not something I'm ready to jump on board with. Like, I watched Max Johnson yesterday, and it's not a stat line game. I watch Max Johnson, and I, this is the LSU quarterback, for those unfamiliar, and I say, what more could I have asked for from him? Like, I know the big, you know, the big highlight that was circulating yesterday, if you were at a game or you were watching other games and you didn't get to see this one, was the horrible mistake he made. I mean, it was a terrible mistake. Uh, he throws the ball backwards, not even looking. One of the crazier plays you'll ever see. I mean, if they were doing it for fun, if it was a movie, it would have been a great scene. It was real life, and it was a horror movie, as it turned out. That wasn't his game, though. That was a little clip from the game. He was under duress all night long. I don't know what more could have been expected of him. Max Johnson's a guy I think I can win with if I have a high enough function offensive line in front of him. If I have more than one receiver that I know I can go to. LSU doesn't have these things right now. I don't care what you were told leading up to the season. I don't care what you were led to believe. I don't care what you felt based on whatever. They don't have that right now. Now, the good news is it's week one of a 12-week season. Uh, the bad news is you're behind the eight ball already. This wasn't a conference game, but you're still behind the eight ball already. Remember, this is Ed Orgeron's team. Now, for better or for worse, this is his team. This is his staff. Uh, this is his roster. This is his developmental plan. This is his plan, period. He's made that crystal clear. He made clear how important this game was in week one. Well, now we see the fallout from it. Now we see the ramifications. Now we see the result. But you've got to tip your cap to Chip Kelly. 
Uh, this is a guy who's been left for dead nationally. This is a guy who's been forgotten. And he kind of reinvented some things about UCLA football. And they were probably underrated. A lot of the advanced metrics guys will tell you they were underrated in the latter portion of last season. Well, now here they are, and they're starting to get some serious rub as one of the best teams on the West Coast. I don't know, I don't know how lofty that mountain is to climb right now, so very quickly they could find themselves there. So hats off to Chip Kelly. A lot of work to be done at LSU. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. My days working and taking care of my little ones can be a lot. I checked out care.com and it was so easy for me to find local, experienced, and background check sitters. Finding our babysitter was way more affordable than I thought. Care.com makes it super easy. Search for qualified candidates. You can view their profiles, read reviews and ratings, check their availability, send messages directly, get the help that you need. Care.com should be every person's go-to. Let's move on to Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, That is where we saw a movie that you've seen several times, wasn't it? Alabama 44, Miami 13. This was nearly the worst case scenario for Miami. It was nearly best case scenario for Alabama. Bama didn't play perfect by any stretch. Miami wasn't a disaster for them. Disaster is getting your quarterback knocked out for the year. That didn't happen yesterday. Looked like it may be on its way, but it didn't happen last year. I'll tell you why I think it's worst case for Miami. It doesn't really even necessarily have to do with just this season. I'll tell you that in a second, but I really underestimated how thorough Alabama would just handle the game. I underestimated how efficient the offense would be is what I underestimated. With pressure, no less, with pressure. Bryce Young, first start as a quarterback, starting quarterback. Bryce Young in his first start, 27 of 38 for 344 through the air, four touchdowns, zero picks, and he had 126 what was it? 12 6. Yeah, 126 yards per completion would be a record. He had 12.6 yards per completion. No other program in any era does this stuff. It's so stupid to think about this. Bryce Young, in his first start with pressure, Bama's offensive line wasn't flawless by any stretch, should not be throwing for uh, 350 and four touchdowns, no interceptions. He should have struggled. That's what he should have. Replacing a new coordinator and all kinds of new talent out wide, new guys in the backfield, new everything, including quarterback. You should falter. You should stumble. And Alabama does none of it. They're just a machine. But it's not a machine. These are real people. They're the same age as the players on your favorite team. They have to play according to the same guidelines that you have to play with, and they're that much better. It's, it's incredible to watch. It's disheartening to watch if you're not a Bama fan, but it's incredible to watch. But early second quarter, I'll give you an example. If you did not watch this game, I watched this one on the flight home today. Go back to the second quarter. It's early second quarter, and I want you to keep in mind as you're watching this, all these players are new. Hardly any of them have started a full season for Alabama. And it's inside the 10-yard line, and Manny Diaz dials up an all-out, just a jailbreak blitz. And Bryce Young's got guys in his face. He's already been knocked on the ground a couple of times. And just, I don't think his heart rate gets above 80. Just tosses it right to his read. Tight end, Cam Latu, in the end zone. Touchdown Alabama. Game essentially over at that point. It's, it's just insane to watch. Because if you watched a veteran quarterback, a fifth-year starter do that, you'd say, man, it's a good thing he's played that long. That's a tough play he just made. He's a first-year starter. Bryce Young's a first-year starter. Why is this near worst case for Miami? Why am I saying things like that? Well, it's not necessarily about this year. This game was about recruiting. If I were to teleport you from the early 90s or the late 80s, what I'm about to say sounds insane, but the state of college football in 2021 is that the University of Miami's biggest recruiting challenge in South Florida is Alabama. And it was time 
for Miami to show South Florida kids that you don't have to go to a program in Tuscaloosa, Alabama to play at the highest level. We can do it here. They didn't need to beat Bama. They needed to be competitive, and they weren't. They got tossed right into the wood chipper. They got splattered just like so many teams have before against Alabama. Well, the problem is not the rest of the season. Have you watched the other ACC games this weekend? Miami may very well still go and play for an ACC title. That team still has a lot in front of it. They're only favored by seven and a half against App State this week. So the critical key is don't let Alabama beat you twice. But they still got a lot in front of them. But the long term, the going in the living room for a kid from from Miami-Dade or Broward County over at American Heritage High School, how do you go in there and tell kids that? When they can just say, okay, coach, but I watched week one. You don't have an answer for that. And the only answer, the only solution is you got to be good enough to sell them on the concept that, well, we'll do it once you get here. That's, that's hard when a coach is walking in right after you with that script A on their chest and they say, no, don't be part of that. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. Don't be a trial and error guinea pig. Just come here. We already got it all set up. You're good to go. Oh, look, here, here's this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy from your backyard, in some cases from your high school, who are multimillionaires because they made that choice. That is why it's worst-case scenario for Miami. Alabama's clearly the standard in the country right now. We had them ranked number one, so you know it's not like it's a big shot, but this is far and away, at this point, the best team in the country. But like we said, not a flawless team. And so there are still obstacles ahead. I know it doesn't feel like it because you look at the final score yesterday. This was not a razor-sharp, efficient game for Alabama. There are things they have to work on on the offensive line. Now, they had Chris Allen, one of their outside linebackers, who was very impactful yesterday, probably out for the year with a foot injury. Remains to be seen, but probably out for the year. But you know something I noticed, even as we were doing this, is how quiet it's gotten from the Pete Golding hater camp. All of them have gone on vacation. I don't know when any of them are coming back. It's going to be a nice vacation year for them this year. It's funny how a guy all of a sudden remembers how to coach again once he's got the players, isn't it? Pete Golding, congratulations. He picked up that that defensive coordinator for dummies book from Barnes & Noble that you guys wrote for him. And so he's figured it out. He's scanned the message boards. He's perused Twitter. Oh, by the way, he's got players like Will Anderson. That may or may not help. But now all of a sudden, Alabama knows how to play defense. Pete Golding knows how to call a defense. Now, the way it works is when they're terrible, Golding's calling the defense. And when they're good, probably Saban's defense, right? Uh, They were never terrible. They were still number one in the SEC last year. They were just off by their standards. They're back. So as you watched all these other defenses yesterday dominate, but they couldn't move the ball, Bama's defense dominated too. The problem is they can still score 40 on you pretty much whenever they need to. But, um, you know, Alabama had 3.9 yards per carry yesterday. So that ground game did not just pound away, pound away, pound away. We've seen this start from them before. We've seen them go on to have one of the best rushing attacks in the country, but kind of stumble out of the gate. There are a few truths in an uncertain world. I can tell you one of them is, those yards per carry for Alabama will seldom be below four again this season. I don't care who they play. So I, I just look at Miami this week because Bama is who they are. I look at Miami this week. It is so critical they put this behind them. Again, if you miss the opening lines, we're going to do Ramen Noodle Express picks later on. If you miss the opening line this week, Miami plays App State at home. Miami is a seven and a half point favorite to open. Critical that they put this game behind them. Because they did not have catastrophic injury yesterday like Florida State a few years ago. They lost Francois season over. Derek King and his team still have a lot they can accomplish, but you can't do it if you can't put this game behind you. All right, quickly, I wanted to run through several more games here. There's so much more to get to. Uh, Florida State and Notre Dame kicking off in 30 minutes, so we'll get you there. Don't worry. Penn State, 16, Wisconsin, 10. Sat in the hotel room yesterday and watched this one through the duration before I went over to the stadium to watch uh, Jordan, Georgia and Clemson. As expected, best environment I saw yesterday. The on-campus environment is it's induplicable in college football. Different people like different things. Some people watched this game and they said, this game's kind of boring because it was scoreless at the half. I'm just not one of those people. I'm a guy who loved the 9-6 LSU-Bama game. But the way I define what makes a great football game is different. It's very simple. It doesn't matter what the score is. My definition of a great football game is how many plays feel consequential. And in this game, every play felt consequential because one false move, one tipped ball up in the air, one turnover, one score was 
very well on pace to decide the game. And as it turns out, that's exactly what happened. That's what makes a great football game. How hard is it for you to look away? You can't afford to look away. Every first down in these games, standing ovation. Every, every point feels like you just crawled over a bed of broken glass to gain. I love that. Y'all can have the 55-48. I'll take one of these games every now and then. It's not like you have to get this every week, but every now and then. But this was big for James Franklin. Box score tells you they have no business winning this game, but they did. Because you look on the Penn State side of things, and you kind of have to remember. you got to contextualize it. Iowa State struggled mightily yesterday against Northern Iowa. Oklahoma nearly lost to Tulane. Washington did lose to Montana. Oregon nearly got clipped by Fresno State. And as all that was happening, you went on the road into probably the most hostile home environment in America yesterday, and you found a way to win against a conference opponent that was ranked higher than you and favored over you. That's a big deal. I don't care how you got it done. That's a big deal. So they still have offensive line issues, but if I would have told them, hey, you're going to go on the road to Camp Randall against that Wisconsin team, good in their own right, and your offensive line going to have some, some shaky issues of their own, you would have thought you were going to lose the game, and you didn't. You won. So now Penn State's schedule pops up right in front of you, and we were talking about how big this game hinged one way or the other. Well, they won. And so now they got Ball State this week, and then they got Auburn. And that's going to give us, here at Lake Kick, a very, very critical week three decision to make. We could go to the Swamp for Alabama versus Florida, or we could see the whiteout, Auburn at Penn State. In case you didn't notice, Auburn's back. I've been told, because I haven't gotten to watch the uh, Auburn-Akron game, but Auburn's back. Bo Nix moving up and down the field. Dare we say Heisman? Well, needless to say, we will find out a lot more about Auburn in week three, but that's going to be very, very fun. And all of a sudden now, Penn State, see what happens is, this time last year, they played Indiana, for example. They probably played a better game against Indiana than they played against Wisconsin. But you know what the difference was? They gave the game away against Indiana, whereas they took a game from Wisconsin here. Wisconsin gave it away. Penn State took it. They got a W. That's what matters. But I can't help but be a little bit disappointed now, as much as there's two sides to every coin. Love it for Penn State. Can't help but be disappointed. Graham Mertz, chiefly, is what I've kind of been disappointed in. Not as a person, but (laughs) I love you as a person. Maybe not as a quarterback so much. I expect more from Wisconsin's offense. And so they've still got a long way to go uh, on the schedule, but I just, I, I kept waiting for them to basically say, oh, whatever, let's just go for it yesterday. And they never really went for it. And I think that kind of game lures you into being so um, low margin for error. And, and so there's a, every show, there is a phrase that I try and think of, and I can't think of it, until, risk averse. There we go. You're so risk averse that the concept of the forward pass alone scares you. But they, they can play better. I mean, there were a lot of false starts and fumbles. I think Colin told me they were one for four in the red zone. Yes, well, that stuff can be fixed. And when they're fixed, Wisconsin can be a better team. But they can't be the best version of Wisconsin until they can move the ball down the field. So that's what we're looking for now and in the future. I have got one, two, three, four, five. I still have seven more things to talk about. And we've got... Renaissance Tour, week two to reveal, and we got Ramen Noodle Express, so hang tight because we're about to move through the last portion of the show here. Added takeaways from week one. Big tip of the cap to Sark at Texas. 38-18, to they beat Billy Napier in Louisiana. We kind of felt this one. I really, in retrospect, regret we didn't put it on the Ramen Noodle Express. I mentioned this one heavily in our late-night Instagram live chat on Friday night. Um, It was... Our model yelled at us to take Texas, and I was just too scared to. I respect Louisiana too much. I was just too scared to. But there was a glaring mismatch here along the lines of scrimmage and overall depth and the home environment, not even withstanding, that was going to be very hard if Texas didn't turn the ball over multiple times for Louisiana to overcome. Texas scored in five straight possessions from about the midway point of the second quarter through early fourth quarter, and that was it. So but you can't do the thing we talked about last week. You can't be calling for the upset and then discount the win in convincing fashion when they get it because, oh, it's just Louisiana. This is huge. It's a huge win for them. Now they go to Arkansas this week. Yes, Texas at Arkansas. In week two, that line opens at three and a half. Horns favored by three and a half on the road. Meanwhile, up the road in Norman, not where the game was originally scheduled, by the way, Oklahoma outlasts Tulane. 40 to 35. 
If you're like most people and you turn this thing off when it was 37 to 14, I get it. I'm not even too down on the Oklahoma defense. This is a classic box score versus eyeball test situation. If your eyes look at 40-35, here's what you think. You think, oh no, Oklahoma's defense is still terrible. Looks like Heisman favorite Spencer Rattler must have bailed him out again. That's the antithesis of what happened here. What happened is Oklahoma's offense, I would venture to say, put Alex Grinch and his defense in some pretty compromised situations yesterday. And, you know, they gave up what they gave up. I think it could have been a whole lot worse. I'm going to say some things here I haven't said yet. And I'm going to be kind of tempered with it. But you noticed, many of you did, I didn't pick Oklahoma to win the Big 12. I picked Iowa State. Part of that's for fun. Part of it's because I will back that up with money. But the other part is I don't trust Spencer Rattler like some of you do. i got to be blatantly honest with you. I don't view him as a preseason Heisman favorite. I don't view him as an elite quarterback. I don't look at him and think, there's that guy and then there's everyone else. I'm not even sure he's the best quarterback on his own team. I know it's become kind of popular to say that over the last 24 hours. I felt this way. I'm very careful with how I talk about college players. If we were doing an NFL show, I'd just say this stuff all the time. Um, There is a feeling that there are some intangibles that Spencer Rattler lacks in order to be an elite quarterback. It's not all physical. Some of it's intangible. And I'm just telling you, there are some people even close to the Oklahoma program who don't look at him and say, oh, I can't stand that guy, or he'll never get there. Critical to not miscontextualize what I'm saying. There are some people very close to and inside the Oklahoma program who feel as of this moment, Spencer Rattler's still not there in some portions of the intangible side of this game. Will he get there? Don't know. They don't say no. I don't say no. But I'm telling you, as long as he's not there, Oklahoma's a little bit vulnerable. They made some terrible decisions yesterday. They got bailed out in some cases, but he made some terrible decisions. I say all that to say this. Oklahoma's another really good college football team. They are not a great college football team. And so their ceiling is great. This gives them a lot to work with. It's a whole lot better than losing. But just if you want to make some sense of this, as long as you are not elite and you're just really, really good, you're vulnerable to this kind of stuff. I don't think Clemson's elite right now. They're going to be vulnerable to something weird like this happening. Alabama's probably not vulnerable to it because they're too good. Can you get to that level? You got the horses. You got the players. Time will tell. What about Florida? This is one that was really off the radar yesterday, but it's going to be really fun to follow. Florida beat FAU 35-14. to Late backdoor score for the Owls gets the cover, but that's not what we're here to talk about we got a situation in Gainesville. I mean, this quarterback situation is one that we've been talking about for like two weeks now, and it's something that it cannot be ignored anymore. I saw Cole Kubelik, I think, work the game in Gainesville yesterday and asked Dan Mullen about it afterwards, and he kind of gave him a non-answer, but it can't be ignored anymore. This has been bubbling. Florida fans who are really dialed into the program, insiders close to the program, this is not new. When Anthony Richardson got on the field yesterday and dropped everyone's jaw, that's not new. They've felt it. They've heard it. They've, they've, they've fielded the whispers. But what, what I had said on the show and what finally happened yesterday is forget about practice reports and whispers and intel. He's going to get on the field eventually. And it's probably going to happen in one of these first two games because they're going to get up by enough margin to where he's going to get put in the game. And then you're going to find out because he's going to do something that makes it blatantly obvious he's too good to keep off the field. And he got put in the game yesterday, did Anthony Richardson? And he has shown you, I think unequivocally, he's too good to be kept off the field. I'm not telling you you're shifting starters there right now, but I am, I'm telling Dan Mullen, of course, I'm well qualified to tell him how to run his quarterback situation. I would be surprised if Anthony Richardson does not factor heavily into Florida's offensive plans now and moving forward. And I'm not talking about typical backup garbage time activity. I'm talking about being a part of the game plan first quarter on. I don't know how you keep him off the field. Really good player. If you've missed it, go check out Anthony Richardson from last night. Iowa State, uh, we in Ames, survived Northern Iowa 16-10. to Never developed any offensive rhythm yesterday. Uh, this is something that people up there locally were terrified about. No one, no one up there wants to play Northern Iowa. None of them do. There's no benefit. It's like, it's like if Alabama or Auburn played Troy. They never do in state uh, because they don't think there's any benefit for them. Now, people in Troy get all bent out of shape about it. And I understand. If I was Troy... And I'd yell at them, too, all the time. But, you know, they look at themselves as having everything to lose and nothing to gain. 
Iowa State kind of felt the same way, and they almost did have everything to lose yesterday. Defense allowed a couple of big plays, and it was a survive and advance situation. That sets up the showdown this week that we're about to talk about, but there was not a lot to write home about from in this game yesterday. Iowa looks like they thrashed Indiana, and they didn't offensively, but they did thrash them in a football game. 34-6 to was the final. Now, the only reason it sounds condescending when I say that, it's not. What I had yesterday was I had someone texting me saying, Iowa found their offense. Well, this wasn't an offensive game. It was a turnover game. It was a defensive masterpiece by Iowa. And this is one where I had worried about Iowa. You know, you get in your mind, Indiana can move the ball up and down the field. Is Iowa's offense going to be able to match? Well, they don't have to. They'll just take it away. And so that's exactly what they did. Michael Penix, quarterback for Indiana, 14 of something, either 20 or 29. I can't read my own handwriting. I can tell you he had zero touchdowns and two picks. And that's obviously not going to get it done. Iowa wins 34 to 6. They had 20 points off turnovers. And now they go into Ames, Iowa this week to face the Cyclones. Again, more on that game in a second. Yesterday morning, when everyone was talking about their potential upsets during the day, I mentioned Montana over Washington. And I mentioned it because the model had pegged Montana as a play. I thought it was on some form of um, hallucinogenic as machines tend to do. And so I didn't, I didn't listen to it. Okay. We discounted the model just like we did with Texas and it came back to bite us. This computer laughed at me last night when Montana outright beat Washington 13 to seven. This is disastrous for the PAC 12 because they need perception wins out there. It's a disaster for Washington, obviously at 60 more yards. They ran 16 more plays. There were minus three turnovers. So none of that really matters because Washington does not have the offense to bail them out. But that was just kind of a look around added takeaways in week one of college football. By and large, it was as mixed a bag of results as I remember seeing in quite a while. And that's exactly how it's supposed to be. Welcome back, full stadiums. Welcome back, college football. Okay, we got a decision to make, and it's time to make it. Now, I have consulted a number of you. I haven't exactly run a poll on this, but I've consulted a number of you. We had a great time in Charlotte yesterday, but Charlotte was easy to figure out. The Late Kick Renaissance Tour, before we show you where we're going to go, if you've missed what the concept here is, we have shouted from the mountaintops that this season is going to be a renaissance season. Crowds back, just the overall pageantry of college football back, and we're on the road every weekend. I go to a game every Saturday. Why don't we just brand it something? Why don't we have some fun with it? Because I normally don't decide where I'm going to go until the week before the game anyway. So why don't we just reveal it on late kick? Well, this last week it was easy. It was in Charlotte. But when we looked at the schedule, and it got a lot more complicated yesterday when everyone won, we got Oregon coming into Ohio State this week. We got Texas coming into Arkansas this week. And we got Iowa coming into Iowa State this week. And all of them are undefeated. And a lot of these games have big-time conference and maybe way on down the road playoff implications. We don't even talk playoff on this show in September. So where are we going to go? We'll roll it right now. I love the animation we have, by the way. One of you did this, and so this is part of the reason I choose to reveal it the way I do. You may have thought you knew, but you do not know. There's only one place I was ever going this week, and that is Ames, Iowa. Lake Kick is finally making our debut in the state of Iowa. We will head up there Friday. I could not be looking any more forward to this if it was 10 of my birthdays all packed into one. And I just ask you to do one thing. Please don't judge my professionalism based on the way I handle myself over the next six days because it could get a little dicey. Already got some things planned. Uh, not the least of which is actually headed to Ames this Friday for what is a huge 3.30 Eastern time kickoff Saturday. This will be the biggest game in the history of that rivalry, and we have had this one circled for quite a while, and we are very, very, very much looking forward to this trip. We are taking the Late Kick Renaissance Tour to Iowa State Saturday, September 11th. Looking forward to it. Okay. Now we got to get some other business out of the way right before we go off air and we get ready for Notre Dame, Florida State. The Ramen Noodle Express currently sits at two and two on the week. Notre Dame is our fifth and final pick. And so they got to pull it out for us tonight. If they do, that's 60%, baby. That's what we aim for every week. But we are not waiting for week one to wrap up before we dive into week two. If you're following on Twitter, you already know the first two early best bets of the week at Late Kick Josh. You've got to make sure you're following. These lines are going to move if you're not following there. And so we hit a couple. Normally, it's just one on Sunday. But I hit a couple of them today. 
And so let's take a look at what the early best bets are. And I also want you to know, as you look at this graphic, there could be more coming as early as tonight. I'm not sure of that. Just make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. We are taking Memphis minus four as one of our early best bets. They are on the road at Arkansas State. We are also going to take Oklahoma State minus 12. They are at home against Tulsa. We like that number all the way up to 14. So before any of you start asking, do you like it here? Do you like it there? Yes. We like it. Uh, We are looking very, very hard at a couple of other teams. And so we're taking Memphis minus four. We're taking Oklahoma State minus 12. And we are also, you know, I I really had fun on Friday night. I got to tell you, I did the, it's a show that's, I just name everything. We call it Friday Night Lines. And what I did was after the Ramen Noodle Express has already been decided and I get to my hotel, wherever we're going to be on Friday, I just cranked up the old eye, Josh. And I went on Instagram, like three or three or 400 of you, I think, were tuned in. And I just took 10 games from you. I took them randomly in the chat. And I pulled up our model, and I gave you my opinion, the model's opinion. And some of you chose the right games. One of you chose Texas, and I told you the model thinks Texas covers at a 61% cover probability, a.k.a. it's telling us to add them to the Ramen Noodle Express, and we haven't for whatever reason. Um, we went 7-2. and two. <laughs> On the, on the leans that I handed out, we went 7-2. and two. That's not Ramen Noodle Express. Our leans went better than the Express went this week. So anyway, I say all that to say, do not ever pay anyone a dime for picks. Get as much information as you can. And then understand how to weight it properly. And understand how to shop for line value. And understand how to get on this stuff early in the week. There's not a whole lot of value late in the week. Most of the time. So make sure you're following us early and make sure you're following us on all the platforms. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already and then subscribe, follow, whatever, at Late Kick Josh. Okay, I promised you I was going to get you out of here in time for tonight's game and we are doing just that. Thank you so much, those of you in the live chat. Thank you so much, everyone out there I met this week. I don't know how many of you it was, a couple of dozen, maybe more. Looking forward to this weekend as much as we look forward to any game. Late kick headed to Iowa State. Never thought the words would come out of my mouth. But red and yellow, I have loved the colors since the days of Hulk Hogan. And here we go. Iowa State welcomes Iowa Saturday. Until Tuesday night, for Director Colin and our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Enjoy the game tonight. Happy to have college football back. We'll see you later. God bless. Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man. Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the space. Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.